Hello and welcome to the More Than Wellness podcast. It's me, your host, Mick Ryan. And for those who haven't listened before, I am a well-being facilitator and consultant. My aim is to interview guests who can inform and educate about all things wellness and well-being, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. And in relation to our well-being, one thing that we often overlook is our personal safety and self-defense. Now, I'm not just talking about learning martial arts so that you can be kicking ass and taking names, because as you'll hear from my guest today, Jeff Phillips, self-defense is more than just learning how to kick, punch, and grapple. Jeff also teaches how to identify a potentially threatening situation before it develops and avoid it completely. After all, discretion is the better part of valor. Now, my teacher has always said that the ultimate martial art is not giving birth to your enemies. As you'll hear also, Jeff puts a strong emphasis on building resilience in his classes with both kids and adults. Now, if you want to get in touch with myself or Jeff, please stay tuned until the end of the show for our contact details. And I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Jeff, thank you so much for coming along to the More Than Wellness podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. I say coming along, obviously you're uh, quite a distance away from me, but we're we're checking in at the same time. So uh, to start off, uh, why don't you um, give us an introduction about who you are, what you do? Okay, so I'm Jeff Phillips, and um, I'm the Australian Director of SAFE International. Um, it's probably one of the biggest things I do. As well as that, I'm the Chief Instructor of Western Sydney Club and Gara Combatives. Aside from that, I'm also a sports strength and conditioning coach, a TAFE teacher and a PT. So yeah, do do uh, quite a few few things, few little side projects and things like that. So, yeah, quite a bit to do in the fitness self-defense industry. Okay, so tell us, um, what is SAFE International? So Safe International is a company that's been set up to sort of assist and run self-defense programs for probably the people who are most at risk. So we do a lot of programs for seniors, we do programs for kids, women, and one of the biggest things that we do is uh, programs for different, different organisations that are in you know, particular industries where the threat of violence is high. So pretty much in this day and age, if you're dealing um, with people, then there's a high, you know, high risk. Unfortunately, it's prevalent these days, but it is what it is. So So what are the programs, Dan, that you describe? How long do they last? What kind of training is involved? Um, So here's the thing. With what I sort of do, I try and get people to do um, continuing training only because you can learn little bits and pieces in a short amount of time. So you can learn a little bit of the theory. But in terms of, you know, being better at self-defense, it's like anything. The more you do it, the better you become so we have specific programs for seniors and um, one of the most interesting jobs i've worked on was a group of um, chinese women who were in their 70s and 80s that was a, a pretty interesting gig um, for a lot of different organizations so i do programs for real estate agents um, particularly those that are in property management so they're the ones that go around and inspect houses and will say well, you don't get your bond back they're quite often at risk um, even even women that you know are in open they're alone in a, in a strange house, showing strangers around. All those things are real estate is pretty, pretty big. Nurses is a huge one. I do a lot of work with um, nurses, particularly mental health. Schools, school teachers, school students, uh, people that work in transport, people that work at service station. Like, yeah, there's a big list of, of people that I've worked with over the years. Yeah, and the, the list keeps growing, unfortunately. Sure. What, what does the training involve and what kind of um, techniques would you be teaching people? 
So in those short courses, it's more about recognizing danger. So being able to see danger, spot it, or to, to be able to, I guess, put a finger on sort of unusual behaviors. And the earlier you, the earlier the intervention, the better. So if you see something happening or brewing and you're able to, you know, take action and be proactive, then you've got more of a chance than as opposed to someone actually coming up and grabbing you. So we'll, we deal with all in between, um, you know, just recognising it, body position and little telltale signs that someone, you know, maybe may have sinister plans. Uh, and as well as that, we, we go into some of the physical, like basic physical. Yeah, we sort of encompass like a whole range of things, verbal de-escalation and awareness and yeah, all of those things. Okay, so it's like in certainly the principle with um, alternative medicine where we believe prevention is better than cure. It's like, you know, avoiding uh, confrontation, seeing those danger signs before it occurs is is better than actually dealing with it after the fact. Yeah, because what people don't understand and what some people in this industry have kind of conveyed, the message they've conveyed is that self-defense is easy, but it's not like... um, it's pretty tough. Like what we're training you for, for the physical, if it gets to that point, it's probably the worst moment in your life. It's, it's hard work. Like no matter who you are, no matter how well trained you are, if someone has the intent of actually trying to hurt you, um, it's horrible. You know, it's not, it's not nice. And um, we try and be real about that. We try not to sugarcoat it. And I've actually told people that, you know, you, you've got little chance if, if it does go physical, um, you're better off avoiding that. Yeah. As early as you can. Okay, that's interesting. So the short course is then is, is more about identifying uh, potential threats. How, how long is that short course? Um, so I have people that do courses for all number of times. Like I'll ring, people ring me up and say, oh, look, we've got an hour, can you do this? And okay. I'll be blunt with them and say, I can tell you a couple of things, but you know, it obviously needs a lot more than an hour. Yeah, but then you know, I've got people that have been training with me for twelve years and more. So um, anywhere along that continuum, from an hour to years, like we can kind sure. of fill it in. There's always levels we can add to it. There's, there's always more. Like I, I always tell people, I, I give them a little bit of confidence, and then I take it away by adding another, you know, another difficulty. Um, yeah, and you can never do too much. Okay, really. so um, really, you're. There's, there's, there's a couple of elements to it. You have your own training center, obviously, where people come to train with you. Yep. But you also do workshops and courses and classes um, with different organizations, different groups, um, as a request. So you kind of do bespoke training as well? As, sorry, what was that? As, would, do you also do kind of bespoke training, like, you know, tailor-made to particular requirements? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, yeah, one thing that I... I really pride myself on his practical application, which I, I think is missing in the martial arts industry. Well, like people will go through some theoretical sort of scenarios and at the end of it, give you a certificate. Whereas we, sure. we actually, um, you know, I like to go to the workplaces and, and set up scenarios as well. So after we've done all the training, if people want to take it to another level, um, I've got a couple of guys that, uh, in my group that are really good actors um, they can play the part of a, you know, a junkie or whatever you need to be. <laughs> yeah. And they'll come into the workplace, pat it up and everything. Yeah. Um, start throwing things around and swearing and chasing people around the office and try and make it a little bit more real. 
So yeah. our theory, uh, the two worlds need to meet. So any, for any training to be valid, it has to be close to the actual event you're training for. And so we try within, you know, safety parameters to do that. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so. yeah buses, trains, you know, we've done it in all kinds of weird and wonderful places. Yeah. So the practical, sorry, the practical applications are really important and knowing how to apply in real life situations. So tell me then, um, going back a bit, your own experience um, in, in terms of martial arts, where did it begin for you and, and what different aspects have you trained in? So for me personally, it all began, I guess, um, my father was an instructor, martial arts instructor. And there was always pads and bags and manuals and books and things around the house. And I think, you know, one thing I always joke about is um, it probably came through by osmosis. Like it's just sort of permeated through. <clears throat> as well as that, you know, I didn't grow up in the nicest of areas. And <clears throat> going to an all-boys school, having brothers, like you've got to be physical to survive. And I soon learnt that, you know, being able to fight is a really necessary skill or a worthy skill to have. And it kind of went from there. It was just, yeah, I, I think a whole number of factors all funneled in together to, to sort of lead me down this path. And um, I guess too, being small, I probably had, you know, I was a late developer, um, late grower. And uh, when I was younger, I was, I was really small. So I guess having a little bit of little man syndrome um, helped as well. So it just, yeah, it made me sort of seek that path and end up where, I'm, where I am today, I guess. And what kind of martial arts did your father do? So he did uh, a style of Kung Fu, which is non-classical. So he was in, I guess the best way you could describe it is um, Bruce Lee's art. He later became Bruce Lee's art, Jeet and but um, it was Kung Fu trying to apply it in the modern world. So it was kind of good because um, <clears throat> he did that and it kind of, again, set me on this path of, training for realism because, uh, you know, I still remember I brought home a karate book from the school library <clears throat> to read and study and my dad picks it up, you know, in his fingers and, you know, <laughs> it's like get this out of the house kind of thing and I guess it all sort of sunk through. Like um, it, it set me on that path. Like, I, you know, I've done a lot of boxing. I've competed, hence the nose, kickboxing, Muay Thai, um, you know, um, amateur MMA. I've done all that stuff like um, over the years, like, practical arts, things where you're actually learning to fight rather than standing in a hole, punching the air, going ki or whatever you say. Sure. So sorry, it was breaking up a little bit there as you were talking then. So Kung Fu, the kind of that Jeet Kune Do style to a certain extent is what your father taught you, but you also trained in boxing, um, Muay Thai. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, more recently then, is it Krav Maga that you've started to train in or you've, you've been training yes. in for a while? Yeah, when, when I retired from competitive fighting, um, I, I was sort of lost for a little while and I'm thinking to myself, geez, I've spent all these years acquiring these skills, what am I going to do with them? And I started sort of looking around. I thought, oh, I can go back to the Jeet Kune Do, go back to, you know, something. And then I sort of had a look and there were a couple of things that I, I saw that I was like, yeah, nah, this is like from my boxing background, I can see the deficiencies in it. I can see the deficiencies in a lot. But what I did like... Um, uh, you know, there was a couple of things that I, I saw online that I liked and the closest thing to that in Australia at the time was Krav Maga and it just so happened that, um, you know, one of the first guys to bring it to Australia didn't live too far from me. So I started with him, um, started training there for, for some time 
But then I started to see that there were big holes in it. So, uh, again, deficiencies in that. And that's when I started to seek other options. And then I called back on my boxing and my kickboxing. And filled a lot of gaps with that. And then, you know, travelled and brought in um, international instructors to assist with um, problems and things we may have. And, and, and it was all like a big process of, I'm, I'm sort of fortunate that I've got a really good group of guys that I train with um, that come to my centre. And our training sort of took on the, you know, as cliche as it is, like it was a lab, but we come in, we go, okay, this is the problem. Someone does this. Okay, you're a BJJ brown belt. What would you do for this? You know, you're, you're a boxer. What would you do for this? And we would play around with it all and, you know, okay, this one didn't work. We'll scrub that. This one wasn't bad. Maybe if we tweak a bit. And we just kind of went down that path as well, as well as having the input from, you know, the people and sort of what we do today um, it's sort of it's its own entity I guess um, we, we keep it the term crowd and go just because the philosophy about you know people know when they get online that it's we're dealing with night threats multiple attackers and, um, street stuff so crowd and go and what we do is pretty much um, all about self-defense um, in a lot of martial arts there's a lot of time filler there's a lot of things that are unnecessary and will not help you in combat and we cut to the chase. We just get straight from that. Like we just um, um, for example, what would that be? Um, so an example would be like, I think boxing is awesome. Um, if you can't stop somebody trying to punch you in the face, then it doesn't matter how cool you, you look with a knife in your hand, flipping it around. If you can't stop the punch, then the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you know, your flying armbar is. If you can't stop the punch to the face, the rest doesn't matter, you know. Um, and I always joke about that and say, you know, your knife sort of defence from there will be the surgeon, you know, repairing your nose or your ground defence will be lying flat on an you know, operating table getting fixed. Um, you know, we, we sort of go through the basics. And, and, and a big, big part of what we do is, is um, it's minimisation because, you know, one of the myths, like a we're going to discuss is that there's a huge disconnect in martial arts and, and fighting. Like they're, they're worlds apart. Like you, you watch a kung fu demonstration and then you watch you know a fight on CCTV footage and they look absolutely nothing alike. Yeah. The responses people will say they're an untrained fighter, but it's like, well, how do you know that? And why does it happen so much? So rather than go against that, we've tried to create a system or work in a system that will function under that madness and under that mess, rather than trying to fit you know, repair your round hole sort of thing. So that, that's kind of our philosophy in the way we've sort of gone about it. Um, yeah. It is difficult for some because they have a connection to styles or, or the ego element. I don't know, my grandmaster taught me this, it must work. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Like, we, we've, like stuff that I've taught in the past, I no longer teach um, for the same reason. Like we're all about, like my job as an instructor is to make people better should they get attacked. No, that's it. That's the bottom line. And the rest doesn't matter. So, yeah, that's our focus. Okay. That's really interesting. So, um, it, it's obviously, it's, it's an evolutionary process, what you're doing. You, you've taken the different strands of, of training and, and obviously taken what other people can bring to it to, to develop very much what you feel is a, is a practical application, practical skill, and a practical set of um, I, I'm going to say techniques, but obviously there's more to it than just that because knowing techniques is not enough. Um, but from my 
understanding of Krav Maga that was developed by Israeli Defense Forces. Um, I would have assumed that it would, had very much trained for, you know, those physical situations rather than just a theoretical thing. It has to be very practical. Yeah. But even allowing for that, you still found that there were gaps in uh, what it offered and in terms of what was required uh, for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's a simple system which has, and I, I really believe this is the way to go to have one solution to several problems rather than have an individual solution to individual problems because in the heat of the moment, your brain won't comprehend it and, and um, you'll do nothing. So I get, I, I, I totally agree with that part. There were just some things that they did that we'd try them out and they'd only work under specific circumstances or specific drills which were designed to make those things work. Mm-hmm. And when the drill open ended, where anything could go, um, the frequency of its success sort of dropped off a little bit. And that's when we're like, shouldn't be ignoring this, you know, we should be looking for a better way. Because, you know, if I give someone a certificate, it's me saying, I believe that you are capable of defending yourself. And I put a lot of weight in that. I don't, I don't just throw them around, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because what you're talking about as well with the, with the role plays and stuff like that, you just remind him, there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful book by um, Malcolm Gladwell um, and it's called Blink and it's about um, intuition. And he describes one particular scenario um, where at the turn of the century, um, or the, sorry, turn of, of the millennium, uh, the US uh, military decided to have a massive big um, kind of uh, war games thing that they had in the Middle East. And they got this uh, Marine general to, to, to play the role of uh, a Middle Eastern dictator and to, they were going to you know, attack him. They played all these war games out. And he completely wiped the floor with them in the first two days of these war games. You know, like if it had been a real war, they would have lost like forty to 50,000 people. They would have lost like, you know, like 15 ships. And the whole thing was that he was just doing things on the fly intuitively um, and going totally against what they would expect them to do. And all their powerful military might and forces were unable to respond. And so after a couple of days, they changed the whole parameters of the game and they said, okay, well, this is what you have to do. And these are the rules. You're only allowed to do this. You're allowed to do this. And eventually they said, oh, we won the war games. It's like, yeah, but only because you put these particular rules in place, this particular, it had to play out in a particular way. That's the only reason you won. But in the real life scenario, that this guy created you didn't you, you lost really badly and you're just reminding me of that as you're talking there about the actual how it's so important to be able to move intuitively fluidly just because you have a set way of doing things it doesn't always work like that in, in real life applications no definitely not and that's where like i always say this to people um who come in new people and the, the stuff that we show new people is identical to the stuff that the advanced people do. So we're not adding to it that much. You know, we're not adding layers and layers to it. The difference between a, a good practitioner and a beginner is a good, good practitioner will see the openings and be able to apply it quicker. So they'll see certain situations, they'll see certain openings. Um, in my, say, basketball coaching, we refer to it as reads, so being able to read the game. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of coaching with kids and um, with basketball and, and a kid who can read the game and adjust to it on the fly they're the players that, that you want as opposed to the robots who, you know, do what they're supposed to kind of thing. And that's the same with self-defense. It's all about improvisation. You know, we do drills where I, I try and bring it out. It's really hard as an instructor to be creative and to come up with ideas that, that um, simulate this. But 
Um, say, for example, we do a lot of training with knives. Someone has a knife, which is probably the worst thing that you'll ever encounter. It's really, really tough. But I, I do little things like, you know, I might put a briefcase in the room somewhere um, so that whilst all this is going on, hopefully they go, oh, shit, there's a briefcase. And pick it up and use that. Yeah. We I do things like that to make it more spont- spontaneous and not structured like you must do this, that, and the other. It's you must survive. Whatever you got to do, do it. And, you know, some of the weird, wonderful things people do is, is great. Like it's uh, really interesting. Um, half the time I, I wish I had a camera rolling consistently because – some people do some crazy stuff and it happens to work and it's, it's, it's really cool. But, um, yeah, that's the biggest difference is not being a robot. Um, and, and martial arts, I think, produces robots in that you have a, a master up the front who moves a certain way and everyone else is supposed to copy. Um, we're not like that. You know, I look at what I do. You know, I'm 6'2", 80 kilos, so I'm tall and skinny. What I do, I have another guy there that's you know, 5'8 and 120 kilos. To do the same thing is just—it's ridiculous, you know. We yeah. have different skill sets and skill, you know, abilities and strengths and things like that, and that's what we've got to work with. Like, just that ability to be able to adjust is, is massive. It's, it's huge. Um. So, tell me, if first off, for for people who uh, maybe don't feel drawn uh, to martial arts, uh, what what do you feel the benefits are, and um, what does it offer people? There's quite a few. Uh, first of all, there's the obvious fitness ones. So um, the fitness component is, like, we can make these as hard as, as, as you want. Like, um, like we, when we do sparring and various other things, when we take it to that level, um, even when we do the scenario training with nurses and things, it could be a 10-second scenario where they go physical, but at the end of it, they're breathing heavy, they're puffing and panting, and, you know, oh, I've got to get in shape. Mm-hmm. So we can make it as hard physically as you can. The obvious fitness benefits but as well as that, um, one thing I do with kids in particular with uh, my kids' class is today's society has taken away their, their opportunities to be physical and to be hands-on, you know, hands-off wheels in schools, and no cartwheels and all this other stuff. So I have this padded room that I bring them in and um, I let them sort of be pretty, pretty physical, throw each other out, tackle each other, punch, punch each other in the body, not the head. Um, brain cells are too important. Um, just throw it around and be physical. Like, I think that's huge. Um, with kids, I, I also like the fact that they get humbled in that. You know, you get some cocky kids who get thrown around and get pinned and can't get up and it's kind of humbling and, and it kind of teaches them as well that, you know, it's okay to lose and you're going to lose and to challenge yourself. I even make them, like I have this little wrestle round that we do at the end and I, I make them choose their opponent. And they know it's frowned upon if they choose a smaller person or a weaker person. And it's funny, you know, one 10-year-old girl who's um, awesome and, and she'll pick the biggest guy. Like, she's tiny and she'll go, oh, I'm him. And she'll pick a kid that's, like, six <laughs> years older than her and 12 and she has a crack. And, you know, that's what it's all about. But, but as yeah. well as that, you know, there's peer management is a huge part of it, particularly with what we do. Um, in all these scenarios, things, people get a an adrenaline dump and, and they start to get a bit shaky. And, um, just being able to deal with that and desensitise yourself to that is huge. Um, resilience, I really like taking um, kids to, the, to this crossroad that I call it where I have a lot of kids that are bullied that come in and um, I take them to a point where they, they've got two choices. I, I just say it's either sink or swim. You either quit or you continue to fight on. And I take them to that point and you know, I've got one um, client in particular who... I'd take him to that point and he'd quite often cry. 
Um, I was surprised that he kept coming back, to be honest. But now, like, you, you see him dig deep and push through it and he doesn't mind getting, you know, bashed around a little bit and works through it. So it's helping with, with um, you know, basically his resilience, I would say. Yeah. Uh, confidence as well. And, and just confidence in people generally. Like, we often get people at the end of our courses or training say that, oh, I don't feel as helpless as I, as I did. You know, I feel a little bit safer at work. So that's huge. <clears throat> that's huge um the other things that people get out of it is the ability to i guess awareness um self-awareness so when people get humbled they realize that this self-defense stuff isn't as easy as people make it out to be um, and also situational awareness being able to read a wound uh, read situations you know quite often the stories we get from people that come back it's not hey i got into a fight and i body slammed this guy but it's, it's not that it's more it's more a mental thing like one of my favourite stories is we, we had a young girl who only did one of the short courses, like a four-hour course, and she was on a train one day by herself. And this guy, a creepy guy, came up and sat next to her, plenty of spare seats, we sat next to her, and she was like, man, this isn't right. Like she felt that. And then there was a girl at the neck got in and sat on the carriage, so it was only the three of them on this particular carriage. And as that girl sat down, she called out, like a fake name was like, oh, Sarah, Sarah. Um, yeah, over here, went, went over and sat down next to her and uh, pretended that it was a sister, explained to her what was going on and then they both got off the next stop, the girl helped her. Little things like that, you know. Yeah. Like it's, that's, to me, if that little girl had tried to fight the guy, she would have struggled yeah. <laughs> big time. Those are the kinds of things. There's heaps, there's heaps of like benefits like that that we find that um, make it all worthwhile. Like I used to get a bit annoyed doing kids' classes being a school teacher all day and finishing school and coming with more kids. But now it's one of the, one of my favourite groups just because, yeah, it's when you see the biggest improvements and, yeah, it's awesome. It's good. So, yeah, the, the resilience project is a big thing in schools at the moment. So obviously that, that's something you're really working on with kids is developing resilience. And I remember seeing a video um, a few months back of a martial arts class and there's a guy holding a board and he's trying to get this kid to kick. I don't know whether you've seen this video. And he's trying to get the kid to kick and, and kick through and break the board. And the kid is just bawling his eyes out because, you know, it's, it must be hurting a little. And the guy's like, come on, you can do it. And the, the kid wants to give up and he's like, no, you can do this. And I'm watching this and I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Like, is, this, is there a bit of bullying going on here with this? But then the kid, he, he does it. He breaks this board. And all the kids around are all encouraging him all the way through. And then they get up and now suddenly he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's got all this massive kudos from it because he, he did push on through and he did, you know, find that resilience and, and that, you know, yeah. fortitude to, to do this, that he could do it all along. Um, so rather than kind of give in and, and think, no, it's too hard, you know, he found that inner strength. And I guess that's yeah. what, what you're talking there. Is it's, it's, it's a really big thing and um, it's really important now because it's something that we, sometimes we can be a bit soft on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like that's that point, that crossroad. It's a, it's a really good indication of that, a really good example of it um, that we find that we try and get people to. Um, in my former life as a school teacher, probably would be frowned upon there. Sure. But, um, you know, we, we have, and I'm sure that kid had his dad or mum sitting on the sideline watching. And was, you know, me as a parent as well, like I like to see my kid get tested as well. You know? like, yeah. I've seen him get into little push and shoves and I, and I just sit there and it's probably probably not the fight fan in me sitting there watching it but it's more the test the test of character yeah um, one thing I will say that, that I really took away from my time like in 
competitive fighting. Well, it wasn't all, you know, the hitting and all that was tough, but it was more the fact that there were times when I was at that crossroads. You know, I remember having a fight with this guy hitting me hard and all I could think about was in my head was stay down and it's all over. But pride kicking was like, hell no. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, eventually winning that fight, like I, yeah, walked away from it. Big sense of the challenge. Yeah, of course. I'm against it. I'll push on. And just that character building and even like I'll talk in front of big crowds and things and nothing compares to going in front of, you know, a thousand people with my shirt off, fighting another guy, <laughs> um, everything else sort of felt really like in comparison is nothing. So it's been really good for that, I yeah. would say. Um, but yeah, like that resilience side of things is huge and it's really hard to develop it in other formats. Like I tried to do it as a school teacher, but within the confines that you're, you know, given, it's really, really difficult to do. And um, it's funny, all these parents that are sitting on the sideline watching you do this to their kids one of them has complained they've all been like that's awesome keep doing it yeah you know i'll see kids get thrown into a wall pretty pretty hard and you'll see their dads like light up like yeah this is cool sort of thing and i mean it's good like like we were saying earlier the human body is resilient and we're not made of glass like we can take a little bit more punishment and it's putting to to go to that place i think it, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I do feel, particularly with, with um, what I'm training in with trauma release exercises, um, that we do talk about going into our discomfort and feeling into our discomfort because a big part of TRE is is learning from the body, listening to the body and the communication in the body um, and feeling those parts of ourselves because the body is, is such a, a great um, communicator and, and a great uh, teacher. But it reflects also a part of our consciousness and we do have to move into our discomfort in order to grow because if we just stay in our comfort zone, well, we never grow. And I guess um, it does make parents in particular often feel uncomfortable when they see their child um, in this place, but it's essential for their growth because we don't grow outside of a comfort zone. You know, we only grow when we move into that place of discomfort. Yeah, exactly. It's like in sports training, you know, the, the principle of overload. Yeah. Doing more than by doing, you know, testing yourself as such. Um, yeah, like, and, and the kids, I sometimes have to play the role of the bad guy. Sort of, I like to think it's outside my character. But <laughs> um, I'm doing, you know, yeah, doing like a service to that kid. It's, yeah, like the world isn't going to sit there and go and pander to your needs. You know, the world's going to beat you down. Um, hopefully not, but it does for most people. You know, like it, it's, the world's tough. There's no, there's no, you know, lead up for, for a lot of people that, that you get at schools and things like that. You know, as a school teacher, I found that there were, you know, one example would be boys' education. A particular school I was at, um, they had particular boys' education principles and things like that and programs and I feel like going to my teacher my, my principal sorry my boss and saying well, I'm a boy do I get any any special treatment like these guys are getting like you're not preparing for the real world you know the real world is tough <laughs> sorry just got a message from my wife <laughs> um, so you also you talked before about um, 
with, with the actual exercise itself, and you, you were talking about anaerobic versus aerobic exercise in what you do, yeah. because people do have the perception that um, for it to be, you know, um, valuable and kind of going back to what you're saying there, you have to really sweat, but you were saying that that's not necessarily the case in terms of what you do. So can you go into a little bit more of an explanation about that? Yeah, I guess this is where my, you know, sports science degree and things, they sort of cross over a little bit in that if your goal, like if you look at what someone in self-defense needs, um, you need to be able to perform super intense exercise for 30 seconds. You know, yeah. I mean, it's over really quickly. You know, you don't touch gloves and fight for five, five minute rounds or anything like that. Um, it's a really short, intense you know, moment in your life. Like even when I do the scenario training with um, women, like I was saying before, um, a five-second encounter and they're breathing heavy. So that's that anaerobic fitness. Yeah. Um, if we look at training protocols, like strength training protocols uh, for power or strength, which is what we require in there as opposed to endurance, it's all short reps, long rest, you know, and in that time when you're actually performing the activity, it has to be as intense as possible. And that movement has to be as hard and as fast as possible. Then you get plenty of time to recover. Um, in a perfect world, that's how training should be for what we do for self-defense. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about a boxer, it's a different, different story because, you know, they'll, they'll fire. So endurance is a factor for them. But with us in self-defense, it has to be short and intense. And like I even do these rounds that I call you know, the Furious Fire, where they're five-second rounds. And, you know, you hit a bag as hard as you can have a little break, another five seconds. You'd be surprised how hard it is um, to do well, that. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> well, like I, yeah. I had a, a, a moment of awakening um, probably about a year ago where I thought I was getting pretty fit. So I'd get in and I'd do um, 16 rounds on the bag, 16 two-minute rounds with 30-second rest. And I thought, man, you know, I'm getting pretty fit now. And so I filmed this workout just to have a look. And the work rate was low. Um, I was disappearing. It's like I was daydreaming concerned about where I went in my mind. Like I'd be standing there looking at the bag for a bit, then I'd do a little bit more and I was like, it's not really that relevant. So then I shortened it to 30 second rounds with a minute break where it's all out intensity and then I could only do like four or five of those. And yeah. I thought, well, that's a lot smarter because as I'm getting older, my joints can't handle that, that much time on, on my feet sort of thing. Um, less chance of repetitive strain injury and it's more practical. Like I do find now that I'm a lot sharper and, um, geez, I wish I trained like this years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. But then high intensity interval training is very much about that, like a short burst of really yeah, high intensity it. with breaks in between, isn't it? So, and, and that's yeah. more so than, you know, going and, and, and working for an hour in the gym where you kind of, you know, you're, you're yeah. lifting weights and then you're taking a break for a minute and then you're going back and you're doing it again. And it's taking a long time, but you're not actually getting that much intensity. So the benefits yeah, of, of doing that quicker, more intense stuff is, is much better isn't it yeah there's just so much science behind it and also um with our busy lives we can we can fit a lot more in so i mean like i was saying when i did those five 30 second rounds like my workout was done in 10 minutes you know as opposed to an hour or whatever to, to do the 16 rounds and, and i guarantee you it's more beneficial maybe not from a skill acquisition um, perspective but for general fitness and strength and everything like that absolutely um, I think that's why there's a lot of gym cha chains now that have their, you know, 45-minute workouts uh, mm. in parts of the quick are very successful. Yeah, like and CrossFit also, and F45 particularly. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think people are inherently lazy. 
And I must admit, like, if I get in there for the hour, maybe it's just me, I don't like long, slow distance. But if I, I get in there, the feeling I'd have, like, preparing myself for that 16 rounds, you know, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd be stalling, whereas this, when it's short and sharp, I just come in and go, all right, I've got this much time, let's get it done. And it, it seems easier in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of your classes, obviously you do kids' classes, you do classes for adults. It's very much about that self-defense base. Is there also yeah. are there strong elements of, of fitness um, classes as well? Do you do different kinds of classes to cover those things? Yeah, so it's, um, like I was saying to you earlier, people don't feel like they've trained if they don't leave sweating or tired. Like they feel a bit underdone. Um, so... Pretty much what we do, most of the drills and things we do, they are pretty intense. Sure. So you know, just throwing punches as hard as you can for 20 seconds, uh, the average person probably couldn't handle it. You would see a massive drop-off by the end of that 20 seconds, you know, 10 yeah. seconds in. You'd see a huge decline. So it is pretty tough, and it's also down to, to the practitioner. I guess this would be the same for F45. If someone's doing a particular exercise, like you can motor and you can go and you can, you know, if, like we use the assault bike. And when I put people on assault bikes for, you know, sports conditioning and things like that, some people get on a motor. Like I had a kid hyperventilate, keep going. And then you get other people to get on there and coast. So I guess it's a little bit up to the user as well. Of course, so yeah. I, I'm always like, you know, on them. You know, hit hard, you know, and I just keep them active and busy and sort of break it up a little. Um, you know, we'll do something intense, then a skill, intense skill, like keep sort of, going between that and I normally finish off on something that's really hard because if they're lying down on the ground at the end of it in a pool of sweat, they're normally pretty happy. So you've got to cater to for that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about um, the practical skills. Uh, we're talking about the fitness element of things and certainly for uh, kids, but also for adults is the resilience end of things. Are there any other um, major benefits that you feel uh, there is to what you're doing? Yeah, aside from those... But that's not enough because it, it's, it's pretty good as it is. <laughs> yeah, like, there are a few that people sort of publicise, like, which I disagree with. So you get all those martial arts schools that go, we'll teach your kid discipline. Whereas I'm more of the, the thought that, well, that's your job as a parent. You know, me getting you for one hour a week is a drop in the ocean to what you're doing at home. Yeah. That's your job uh, quite often, you know, and I get people come in and say, oh, is this good for anger management? And... I guess, like, I guess I'm even cured because, you know, I rarely lose my temper because I get it all out on the bags and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's really good stress for them. Yeah. Um, we have people that have sort of high-profile jobs that come in and I guess it's a bit of escapism too. But you smash the bag for a while and do stress, which is, which is um, So there's those benefits and, yeah, countless others. And I think, too, just that feeling of um, being more secure. Like I've had many people say to me that I feel better at my workplace now. Now I've got some strategies and, you know, like I do a little bit of work in jails and um, when I go in there, I'm pretty comfortable and it's not because yeah. I think I'm a deadly guy or anything like that. It's just because I can position myself uh, you know, in the safest way. I can sort of read people um, and I do have confidence like if something happened. I, I've been there before many times in the training scenario. So... I'm pretty confident in that respect. But um, I, I just, yeah, I don't have fear. Like I walk into the jar and 
I'm not necessarily scared. I'm sort of quietly confident. And it just helps with dealing with people as well. Like when I come in there, I'm easy going, easy to get along with, have a joke around with the guys. And so it makes them want to attack me. <clears throat> so little things like that just helps with that day-to-day confidence and I guess security. Um, yeah, it's, it's massive. Okay. And tell me, um, where to from here? What's, what's the plans or what's the intentions from here on in for you? Um, personally, I'd like to see what I do grow a little bit. I'd like to get it out there a little bit more. Um, not too many people know about what I do. I'm terrible at marketing, I'm terrible at <laughs> self-promotion. Sure. And I think people don't want honesty. <laughs> people prefer an easy path um, rather than the truth. So I think, you know, that's a little bit of a struggle. But personally, I'd like to, yeah, get out, get out more, do a little bit more of this training in different fields and get a little bit more exposure and, and also just try and um, reduce some of the, I guess, or more educate people about some of the myths. You know, you have your casual, um, casual practitioner that doesn't really know a, little, know a lot about it, you know, like the hobbyist that's like, oh, I want my kid to learn self-defence. I'm going to put him in a Taekwondo school. Um, just to be able to educate people to make more informed decisions about that, like the right decision is to make and how to justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about picking on styles. It's more about picking on individual training and what people are devoting their time doing. Because like, um, this business, like, honestly, um, there are so many people that I, I liken them to politicians. So what they say and what they deliver are just two different things. You know? And just to be sure. able to educate people a little bit more on that so they can distinguish um, is another goal of mine, like just to do that as well as, you know, getting my, my gym and everything bigger, but just to help people make more informed decisions. And, yeah. and just to be clear, that's not you having a go at Taekwondo, you're just using that as an example. No, so, no, yeah. Just, yeah, that's an example. Like there are good Taekwondo schools out there, I'm sure, but there are dodgy ones, just like some of the um, Sure, yeah. Really good there are, there's a lot of good ones out there as well. But um, yeah, just public perception of, what they're getting into is it's not the reality it's not you know it's it's not what they're looking for like it's you know one of the questions you sort of spoke to me about before is you know myths um, in this industry uh, what are the myths yeah and talk about that for a week you know that, sure that some, um you know like one big example is martial arts doesn't necessarily make you a better fighter uh, martial arts makes you good at that particular martial art yeah and that martial art be applied when somebody's trying to tear your hair off, that's debatable. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, the average consumer doesn't know that, can't tell the difference. And that's one thing that, you know, I want to do a little bit of work on, like giving people tools to be able to recognise that. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's fair enough. Um, that's awesome. So thank you so much uh, for sharing that. That's really, uh, I really enjoyed that talk today. It was really enlightening. And tell, how do people, yeah? How do people get in touch with you? Um, what's the best way um, in terms of where you're located, website, things like that? Yeah, so my facility is located at Western City University, Warrington, so near Pendant. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's where we're located. If you need to get a hold of us, probably the best um, place is probably um, probably my Crab website, crabwest.com.au. Okay. Um, Probably through that, or even Safe International Sydney, or Safe International Australia. Okay. Either or, I'll send yeah. through some links. Like that. 
And you're also available for uh, for classes, workshops, if people inquire. Like, you, do you go to people to train them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've, people call me up. Like, tomorrow I've got one at a domestic violence place uh, for all their clients. Um, people just contact me. I, I travel to them or they can come to us. Uh, either or, happy to, happy to do either. Okay. Cool. That's awesome, Jess. Thank you so much for today. I appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you. Thanks okay. so much. And good luck with everything. It sounds awesome. I love what you're doing. Thanks very much. Cheers. So that was Jeff. And uh, I have to say, I really like the importance that Jeff placed on avoiding confrontation, identifying threats before they escalate, because really we have no idea how it's going to get down. And as I said earlier, discretion is the better part of valor. Even if you know how to defend yourself, doesn't mean you should put yourself into situations where you have to. There's always someone bigger, stronger, faster, more aggressive and perhaps more intent on causing harm. Or maybe in defending yourself you might end up doing something which you forever regret and nobody wants that. Now as Jeff said if you want to get in touch with him you can find him at cravwest.com.au or you can find him at facebook.com forward slash cravwest. His phone number is 0417-402-902. And Jeff is based, get this, Jeff is based at the Weapon X facility at Western Sydney Uni in Warrington. I wonder if Wolverine and Deadpool give classes in self-defense there. It'd be great to work at the Weapon X facility. Or maybe not if you've seen the movies or read the comics. And now, as always, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at solacewellbeing.com.au. You can get me at facebook.com forward slash solace wellbeing and the podcast page on Facebook is facebook.com forward slash more than wellness podcast. Uh, Please like, share and follow us on iTunes, Spotify and whatever else you use to access your podcasts. And as always, I would love to get your feedback and your comments. Chances are you won't though. Most people who listen don't leave comments and feedback. But if you feel like just putting yourself out there, I'd be very grateful to hear back from you. Now, next week, we catch up with Jennifer Pizzicara of Hawk Therapy's Wellness Centre in Avondale Heights. Jennifer is a holistic counsellor and Reiki master and discusses her journey in energetic healing and counselling and all of the awesome therapies and training she offers at Hawk Therapies. And we had a great chat, so please tune in next week for that one. Thank you so much for listening. I'm very grateful and stay well. (music) 